They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that intro, and that's what means it is time for another episode of Talking with Tarashuk. Don't mind me while I stumble over my words. My first time doing this in a while with live switching. Uh, I am speaking to a baseball writer today by the name of Trevor Raychur. All right, Trevor Ray. Trevor, did I say that right? Yes, you did. Thank you very much. Names, names are a tough one for me on this podcast. Always have been. Always will be, so I apologize. But Trevor comes from Japan, much like uh, our very first guest on his podcast, Phil. Uh, but he is a writer for Daily Sports, a Japanese newspaper in Kobe, Japan, covering the covering the Tigers. Yeah, I'll have you pronounce the name actually of the, the, the city they're from in a minute. Um, he is also a tour guide. Uh, and a newsletter writer for Japan Ball, which is a company that brings fans across Japan to see all the awesome stadiums there and then some, which, hell, that needs to be in the States, first of all. A tour going on country to see all the ballparks? Hell, I've only been to three. <laughs> Trevor, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Will. I appreciate you calling me onto the show. I would love, I'm excited to talk baseball with you. Yeah, this is all about baseball. This podcast is more fun. You know, the other podcast I got, the Ambiguous Podcast Solution, is more like PR, business stuff. But no, this is straight fun baseball. So while we're there, introduce yourself, where you're from, how you got to Japan, um, and what brings you here today. So please, floor is yours. Sure. Uh, so as Will introduced me, my name is Trevor Rachera, and I am from Winnipeg, Canada, right in the very smack in the middle of the coldest part of the nation. Um, I, w- I lived there through my university years. And then when I graduated university, I came straight out to Japan right after that. Had nothing to do with baseball, had everything to do with um, finding some employment. And I figured you know, I'll come out to Japan, get a couple of years of teaching under my belt because I'm, I'm a trained teacher. Then I come back to Canada and get my career going uh, with that fun experience of having lived in Japan. Well, um, you know, two years have now turned into 23 going on 24. So yeah, it's been a long ride here in Japan, but um, yeah, I, I started, I spent 12 years in Okinawa, which is the Southern part of uh, Japan. At the time, before I got there, the only thing I knew about Okinawa was the Karate Kid because Mr. Miyagi is from there. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I get to go to where Mr. Miyagi was right on. This is going to be cool. And it really was. I had a great time there. But I I left Okinawa, moved up to Hokkaido, the northern part of Japan. And after just a year there, I settled um, in Kobe, which is where I've been since 2011. All right. So you were only supposed to be there for two years. So what... What what made you stay? Was it was it this the job? Was it the food, the culture, the little bit of all? Like what this Canada sucks? Like what made you stay for twenty three <laughs> hey, hey, plus hey, years? Be careful, be careful. <laughs> um no, actually uh Canada is pretty awesome, except for lately it's been pretty crazy. But um, I love Canada. Canada's a great spot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so I uh, came out here and I was on something called the JET program, which okay. is a program set up by the Japanese Ministry of Education. And at the time it was capped at three years. 
So you come out and it's a one year contract renewable up to two times uh, after that. And then after that, you, you're on your own. Either you find more employment in Japan or you go back home. And it's meant, I mean, it's the Japan exchange teaching program. So it's meant to be an exchange. In other words, you're supposed to go back home and then tell your home country all about how awesome Japan is. Well, I just, I thought Japan was so awesome that I just stayed. I did two years on the jet program, which was the original plan. And then I just, I wanted to stay a bit longer and I stayed a bit longer. I was going to stay for just one more year and I liked it so much. I stayed for another year. And then after that, it just kept snowballing. And, uh, you know, the more I stayed, the more I just loved the culture. I just feel like it's a really comfortable place to live overall. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to make my way over there for sure. You know, I've been saying that for a while. Um, I need to go to a lot of places around this world. But, you know, I got to make money first. Um, and I'm probably <laughs> definitely going to be doing that tour, going to all those stadiums. Because in your background, you got the stadium of the Tigers. Now, how do you pronounce the actual full name of the team of the Tigers? So the Tigers are the Hanshin Tigers, and Hanshin, Hanshin Tigers. is actually is actually the name of the company that owns the team. Most of the Japanese teams mm. um, are given the name of the the corporation that owns them, and so it's Hanshin Electrical Railways. Um, I hope I got that exactly right, but anyways, it's a railway company, right? And so the the stadium is right along the Hanshin train line. And so the best way, pretty much the only way to get to the stadium, if you're coming from a little bit further away is by train, by Hanshin rail. And so they're taking your money with the ticket. They're also taking your money with the train ticket as well. Um, but yeah, all the other teams in Nippon professional baseball are owned by some corporation and that corporation's name is in the team name. That's, I did not know that. That's really interesting, you know, cause in the States, all the stadiums or arenas for sports are named after the corporation, like the Staples Center, uh, Smoothie King Arena, other than like, you know, um, baseball, it's a little different. You got Wrigley, Fenway, Yankee Stadium. Um, but that's interesting. That doesn't that doesn't annoy me as much as I thought it would. Maybe because it's the name just rolls right off the tongue. It's a great name for a <laughs> a a a a um baseball team. So what are the other what are the other teams in the division? Like what are the other some of the other names um in the league? So in the Central League, which is what Hanshin is in, uh, the the main rival is the Yomiuri Giants. Mm -hmm. They're also sometimes just known as the Tokyo Giants, but Tokyo is not even part of their team name officially. So Yomiuri is a newspaper. It was at the time the largest newspaper in Japan. Um, there's the Chunichi Dragons, who are also owned by a newspaper. There's the Yakult Swallows that are owned by like a kind of yogurt beverage company. Um, the Yokohama DNA Bay Stars. So Yokohama is the city, and then DNA is like an internet company. And then finally, there's the Hiroshima Toyo Carp. Um, they are owned by, well, Toyo is part of the name of Mazda. So they're owned by actually the Mazda car company. Oh, that's cool. So how does how does that work in terms like of contracts? Do, do they have, the, does the company own the name for like a set amount of time? They have to renew it? Or is it kind of like an in perpetuity thing? Like, what if the company goes out of business? So it hasn't happened in recent years in Japan, but yeah, like com sometimes companies will go out of business or they just feel like it's not financially viable for them to hang yeah. on to the team so anymore. They They'll find another corporation to sell it to. So one of the more recent um, sales was a supermarket chain called Daie, which uh, sold their team, the um, Hawks, to a, a telephone, well, uh, internet or telecommunications company called SoftBank. That was in 2005. And so teams will sometimes change ownership and people still want to kind of hang on to the old uh, owner name, but 
eventually it just catches on that. I mean, most people that are fans of the Hawks know them as the SoftBank Hawks because they've been so for what, 17 years now. Yeah, that really throw me off. It's like, oh, I'm a big New York Yankees fan. It's like, well, now, now they're, they're like the Syracuse Yankees. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, but hey, I guess it works. So, Well, you get that on occasion in MLB too, right? Like the Angels have kind of fooled around with their name a little bit. They yeah. were the California Angels, and then now they're the, what, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So they were the you, know, you get a little bit of that. The California Angels, the Anaheim Angels, now the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. That's just silly. But that's, that, you know, that's, that's city to city, right? Like right. Um, they were the Washington Pilots, and now they, they were the Expos in Canada, and now they're the Washington Nationals. Or however they they switch. So cities are cities are a bit different because you know like oh I root for this team because it's my city. I don't yep. root for corporations. You know I love Spotify, but I don't root for corporations. Like, but it's like I root for the Tigers. Right. So that it still it still works. That's just very interesting. So yeah, the interesting thing about that is that um, the Pacific League teams, which is the other league um, in NPB. Every team except for one has got the city or the prefecture or the regional name within the team name as well. Mm. Um, and a couple of the ones in the Central League do is uh, also. But um, so there is definitely that local pride thing going on. And um, I, I mean, I definitely don't think that people are cheering for companies either. But when you look at name, like there's, you know, the strongholds like the Yomiuri Giants and the Hanshin Tigers. I mean, they've been around for, you know, since 1936. And they are probably not going to change their ownership anytime soon. The team name is such a strong brand that, um, you know, that it's going to be there forever. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Now you, you can change the name on something. Like, I don't care if they change the, the TD Garden in Boston to whatever they want to call it. It's still the Fleet Center, right? Like, <laughs> there's there's some things instead of the diehard fans, just, they just don't care what you call it because they understand, listen, it's just, it's just business. That's a business move. Um, but you did mention the Tigers and, like, their history. So tell me about this, the Tigers as an organization, their history, you know, when they were founded, how long they've been around it, some of the biggest successes, failures, curses, if any, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So tell me about the team you work for, sure, man. man. Sure. Okay. So uh, the Tigers, uh, the Hanshin Tigers have been around since 1930, uh, 1935, pardon me, December 1935. Wow. Their first season was 1936. And actually 1936 was the start of professional baseball in Japan. So they've essentially been around since the start. The very first pro team in Japan, at least that is still alive today, would be the Yomiri Giants, mm -hmm. who technically started in 1934. Um, I don't know if you've heard about the major league barnstorming tour that came over in 34 with Babe Ruth and a bunch of other famous names. Um, but they were the team that faced that team. And the reason that they went pro, at least to my understanding, is that until this point, high school and college baseball was hugely popular in Japan. And there was no such thing as professional baseball. And people saw baseball as something that was so pure that you couldn't, you're not supposed to earn money playing it. It's a game. So you play right. it for the love of the game. You're not right. playing it for money. And once you're finished with college, well, that's kind of the end of your time playing baseball. Like it's time to move on to adult things. But um, there was a rule, I guess, put in place or, or I'm, I forget who exactly set this in place, but they said, um, you're not allowed to pay the players um, money to play baseball. But they also said that um, 
oh, you're not allowed to, pardon me, this is what it was. You're not allowed to charge admission to these baseball games because it's not professional baseball. The players are not being paid. The fans or the people in attendance are not allowed to pay. But this bar, barnstorming tour, which involves some great names, including Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, and others, uh, cost um, Mr. Mr. Shoriki, who is the owner of the Yomiri Giants, or the owner of Yomiri Newspaper, cost him so much money that he had to find a way to compensate that. And the way to do that was to charge admission to the games. But the only way to do that was to say that he had a professional baseball team, because if they were an amateur team, they weren't allowed to charge admission. And so that was, they became the very first professional baseball team in Japan. The very next year, 1935, they actually did a tour of America. And it was during that time that a couple other teams were formed. So I totally sidetracked there. I'm sorry. I was supposed to talk about the Tigers. I ended up talking about no, the Giants. No, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. You just gave me a history lesson of baseball in Japan. Because I was thinking, you know, baseball's America's pastime. That's what it's known as. But it's huge in Japan. So, no, that's totally relevant to the history of the Tigers. Because, you know, in the 30s, that's how baseball, that's, that was the, um, the, the, the prologue <laughs> to my question. Yeah. So Tigers, founded in 1935, were they a success right off the bat? Like, what's their championship history like? Let me kind of this. I asked through a lot, actually. Let me, let me specify. Like, how many championships did they won? Are they a successful team? Like, if you, okay. could, if you can compare them historically to a baseball team, an American team, um, who are they most compared to? <laughs> Unfortunately, like Red Sox or Chicago Cubs, they don't have a great track record. Now, so Japanese professional baseball started in 36. Mm -hmm. And until 1949, it was called uh, Japanese Baseball League or Japanese Professional Baseball. Pardon me, I should know that. Um, and then in 1950, it became NPB, which it is right now, a uh, two-league um, sport. Pacific League, Central League. Um, so from 1936 through 1949, there were anywhere between eight and 10 teams, I believe. And Hanshin was actually pretty successful during that time. But what happened was in 1950, when they split into two leagues, one of the main proponents of that was a guy uh, named, um, well, his English name, I guess, was Henry Wakabayashi, uh, Hawaiian-born uh, Japanese ancestry. And he was part of the Hanshin Tigers. Well, he really strongly believed in the two league system. He said, if you want baseball to grow, you need two leagues. You need to have like a world series type of finale to the season. And so he really pushed hard for that. And he took a bunch of the Hanshin Tigers players half gutted the team to form a team that went to the Pacific league. And so from 1950 through 1961, Hanshin won nothing. Mm. It just took a long time to rebuild. They won the Central League in 62 and 64. Then they went on a 21-year drought. They won the whole thing in 1985. That includes the Japan Series. They have not won the Japan Series since 1985, and they've only won the Central League twice since then in 03 and 05. Hey, man, not every team can be the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be the Giants' role in Japan. The Yomiya mm -hmm. Giants are the Yankees of Japan. Everybody knows that. Well, how's, how's the fan base like? Because you, you're comparing them to the Sox and the Cubs, which, hey, like, I, I'm a Yankee fan, but I give respect to the Red Sox as being one of the original baseball teams ever, along with the Cubs and the Reds. So, But that has a dedicated fan base. How dedicated is the fan base of the Tigers? That I would say that probably Hanshin is very comparable to either of those teams in that respect as well. Mm. Despite the fact that they don't win a lot, they are probably the most followed um, and adored team in all of Japan. And that would include, I would say it includes the Yomiuri Giants. Now, um, I don't know if this is the case so much in America, but I would say like, so the Giants were kind of the everybody's default team. 
Right. You know, they were the first team. They were the most successful team. And when TV broadcasting started, the Giants were the ones that got all their games on TV. So by default, they became, you know, the most popular team in the nation. However, right. if you want to look at the most popular team in terms of a fanatic uh, fan base, I would say that Hanshin is number one in Japan uh, and second to none. All right. Fair enough. Uh, any players from the Tigers ever make it to the States? Um, in the past, yes. So nobody of great uh, consequence, I would say, or nobody that anyone would say, oh, yeah, I, I you know, he was awesome. But um, Tsuyoshi Shinjo, he played for the Mets and the San Francisco Giants um, in the early 21st century. And then Kei Igawa, who played for your Yankees. Oh, sorry, I know Kei Igawa. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember him. He didn't do too well, but I remember him. No, he sure didn't. Um, and then there have been a couple of others. Um, Kyuji Fujikawa, who played for the Cubs, and then a little bit with the Rangers before he came back to Hanshin. Um, those are kind of the main three, I think. that um, There was also a guy named, uh, pardon me, Keiichi Yabu, who played for the San Francisco Giants. So those are the four Japanese guys that came from the Tigers uh, into MLB. Hey, man. Still counts for something, you know. Shout out to Kei Igawa, all right, wherever he is, wherever he is in the world. Shout out to Kei Igawa. Not your, He's not your here. fault, Kei. I'm not going to blame you on that one. Um, so let's. So you, you're a writer for yeah. the Tigers. Um, what what kind of stories do you cover? Do you cover the teams like the team specifically? Do you interview the players? So tell me about like how you cover the team you're writing, and does that also involve your podcast? Yeah, good question. So it's it's kind of a bit of a complex equation, if you will, because Great. I'm not employed by the Hanshin Tigers. I'm not technically even like on staff at Daily Sports. I've got a monthly column and the angle that they want me to take because um, the Tigers are a very staunchly old fashioned Japanese team with probably a 99.5% Japanese fan base. Um, they want to see, well, what do foreigners think about the Hanshin Tigers or about different aspects of Japanese baseball? Mm -hmm. So it's basically like an outsider's look at our Japanese team is kind of what they, they've got me writing about. And so I write once a month, I try to find some kind of theme or topic. Um, they don't give me access to the players, but I've been able to make connections with, especially some of the, um, non-Japanese players. So I've been able to interview them for my podcast and for my own personal stuff, but I'm, Technically, I'm actually not even allowed to use those interviews in my column because here in Japan, um, the newspapers actually have to pay some royalties to the team mm. um, in order to interview the players. And so I'm not, I'm not paying, and so I'm not allowed to use it in the newspaper. That's fascinating. Well, I can say you're, <laughs> you're, you're living a dream of mine. I always wanted to cover baseball in some way, shape, or form, writing, audio, video, one way or the other. So this is the closest I can get for now, but uh, definitely jealous. When you, so when you write the articles, do you write them in English or in Japanese or do you, how do like, how does that work? Like, do you, do you know how to write and speak in Japanese? Yeah. So actually um, I, I write the, the articles are published in Japanese. Right. And I write them in Japanese. Okay. Um, but often what I do is I think of a topic that I think uh, I find interesting. Um, I don't know if you would necessarily say as a foreigner to Japanese people, but I'll find something that I find interesting. So just an example, um, the last article I wrote was about how the players' names are spelled on the back of their uniforms. So you know Shohei Otani, right? He, his, his name is spelled O-H-T-A-N-I. Yep. Well, the H is silent, correct? Oh, yeah. It's not yep. Otani, it's, yeah, it's Otani, Otani. Yep. right? 
So why is the H there? Well, it's because it's a long O in Japanese. And some players, like, do you know Tsutsugo who plays for the Pirates, I guess, now? Yoshi, Yoshi Tsutsugo. No, I do not. I'm sorry. Okay, no worries. So he came over a few years ago. He signed with the Rays, um, didn't do very well, went over to the Dodgers, didn't do so well. Now he's with the Pirates. He kind of found a place in their system. Well, anyhow, he, when he was in Japan, had an H at the end of his name because it's a long O. But it looked like Tsutsugo, right? Mm-hmm. But anyways, he took it off when he came to America, so there's no H. And so my article was, why do they bother with the H? And I take that article, and for an English-speaking audience, I'm explaining maybe the phonetics or how the Japanese language works because I'm assuming that a lot of my readers in English don't know that. Well, I can't just translate that into Japanese and use it for a Japanese audience because they'll be like, who do you think is reading this? Like a first grader? Like everyone knows this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to change it up a little bit and give it a different angle in Japanese. But so I write the article in English and then I think, okay, well, how does this apply to a Japanese audience or vice versa? I think of it, you know, with my Japanese audience in mind and then I say, but how do I make this more palatable to somebody who has a background in major league baseball, for example. Right. That's, see, that's a great topic. That's a great thing to write about because that's something I would never think of, but I would see that and go, huh, why do they do that? And I would read it and I go, wow, that's really cool. So what, what other topics have you written about and come up with? Uh, like some of your favorite, give me like three or five. Oh man. Okay. So I've been doing this, this, um, this column um, in the paper for four years now. So, wow, what, what are my three or five favorites? I kind of forget from month to month what I've written about. That's fair. So <laughs> I feel that. Um, yeah, you know, but but just, just kind of a side story. One time I actually did write specifically about a player and maybe his style of play or something. And my boss actually said, well, we kind of don't want to use that because it doesn't fit with what the column is supposed to be about. <laughs> so um, that was that was one that I was kind of a little bit shocked about. Um, so, okay, so here's a couple examples then of ones that I, I really liked. One was, uh, so last year, the Tigers had a really hot rookie uh, named Sato. And there's talk that eventually he may end up going over to the majors and hopefully he'll be successful. But the hype surrounding this guy really reminded me of the hype surrounding a hockey player that I grew up admiring when I was in my high school years named Timu Solani, who played for the Winnipeg Jets and scored 76 goals in his rookie season and was wow. just the talk of not only the town, but the whole league. And I kind of felt like Sato brought that same excitement. And so I wanted to kind of tie those two together in an article. And I thought that was kind of interesting, both for Japanese and for non-Japanese. Yeah, I can't, I don't know this, but I'm assuming hockey isn't the most popular in Japan. No, no, yeah. it, I mean, absolutely not. <laughs> so yeah, no, that, that, that definitely, that definitely ties to, to, well, even in the States, you know, hockey is pretty popular. It's hockey is very niche in the States. People who love hockey, they love hockey. They adore hockey. People don't care about hockey. It's like, yeah, hockey. Me, I don't, never played hockey. Know how to skate. Don't know how the game works. But someone's like, well, do you want to go to the Rangers or the Bruins or the whoever? I'm there. It's Go yeah. a live hockey game. Oh my God. It's some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. It's awesome. It's awesome. I love hockey. And so I, you know, I try to tie in some of my background into my writing. And as I said, you know, they want to know what the outsider thinks about their team. And it's like, well, I automatically have to tie it to my background, but you know, it's, it's funny 
because I'll read the comments um, on my articles and sometimes I have to cringe as I'm reading them because um, sometimes they'll jab at my Japanese ability. Like, well, this, you know, this guy's writing ability sucks. And sometimes they'll be like, who, who cares about hockey anyways? Why is this guy writing about hockey? And, you know, like there's quite a bit of negativity out there, but I just keep pushing through just because I'm having fun. I'm getting paid for it. And, you know, who cares what you think, <laughs> except that I care enough to read it. That's, that's the internet. The internet, there's going to be hate yes. and anger and despair all over the internet, no matter where you go. Wise man once said, post it and ghost it. Just post it. Don't look at it again. It's gone. It's yeah. out there. It's done. Um, but some people, you know, some people like the comments. I like reading comments and, you know, because sometimes I can learn a thing or two. But yeah. there is some, like, I remember me and me and my friend Nash used to do a um, American politics podcast, which can't do that. Oh anymore. boy. Can't do it anymore. We just can't do it anymore. <laughs> I can't, I can't run a business and do a political podcast. Like you can't, those two things can't exist in the same world. Um, but someone put a comment where like, you know, clearly one is smarter than the other one. It's not the one who's really loud, like hinting at me. <laughs> now it's like, yo Nash, check out this comment. Cause it's one hilarious. I think it's going to get under my skin, but two, it's a hundred percent right. That's the point of the show. I'm the loud guy who presents the story. Nash is the smart one who explains it. Like, you're like, yes, you nailed it. So it's like, yeah, they're supposed to be a dig at me, but it's like, no, <laughs> nail on the head. <laughs> nailed it. Hilarious. Nice, nice. Um, all right. So that's my little, that's my little uh, journey off the beaten path. So let's talk some baseball, a little more about baseball. Sure, so man. How did you become a fan of baseball? Everyone has that story of, you know, my dad is the one who grew me up to be a Yankee fan in Boston. Right. You can imagine how tough that was. So who was the right, person yeah. in, in your life that made you fall in love with baseball? Okay. So growing up in Canada, there's not like a huge baseball following, particularly in Winnipeg where mm-hmm. well, we do have a, a pro team, but it's in one of the independent leagues, the Winnipeg gold eyes, shout out to, to the goldies. Uh, but I didn't grow up watching them. Um, I guess like by default, the blue Jays were kind of my team, but you know, much like a lot of Canada, we kind of just, um, we, we clued in during the playoffs if there were playoffs for the Blue Jays or the Expos. Um, but the Blue Jays, when they went on that uh, back-to-back World Series run, was when I kind of like first started to actually care a little bit about baseball. Um, but then, honestly, it was fantasy baseball that got me. It was my gateway into oh, uh, being great. interested in baseball. Oh, that's, that's awesome. It was Joe Carter, right? Hit the walk-off home run? Yes. 92? That one, I believe, was 93, 93, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was close. I'll never forget. I wasn't alive. <laughs> they won it in 92, 93. I yeah. wasn't alive in 93, but I did, I've seen that home run oh, so go. many times, and I was like, man, that's the childhood dream. So, fa- interesting. Fancy baseball got you into baseball. Yep. Um, yeah. But- so, and actually, like, I only did one year of fantasy um, in Canada, and then I moved out to Japan. And it was an, it was another Canadian that was living in Okinawa of all places where there is no pro baseball, even in Japan, but he was doing um, MLB fantasy baseball. And he said, Hey, Trevor, you got to join me in this. And I said, I don't even know baseball. Like I don't know any of these guys. And he said, okay, I'll give you like a four month buffer where I'll give you advice on who to pick up, who to drop all that kind of stuff. And after that, you're on your own. I got hooked, man. I just loved playing fantasy baseball. And I did it for like at least a decade after that, maybe even more. Well, fantasy baseball, okay, this is a little bit of a sidebar too. Fantasy baseball is literally like the reason why like DraftKings is even a company to begin with. Like how sports gambling is so big in this country. And let me let me let me explain. Have you ever seen a, uh, the ESPN 30 for 30 on fantasy baseball? It's like one of the first 30 for 30s they ever did. Um, how, um I haven't seen that one, no. So, 
find it. It's incredible because it tells a story about how these four nerds just literally did fancy baseball like by hand. All the stats, the point systems. Now you go on the Yahoo or ESPN, it's easy, easy. They did yeah. it by hand and they wow. really took off because they put money on it. Right. And then that turned to fantasy football, that turned to fantasy basketball. And then fantasy football turned into like, oh, Jeff King's like, oh, you can just put bets on what's going to happen. And then you'll pick teams, parlays, all this stuff. So yeah, fantasy baseball. I love that you got into baseball through fantasy baseball because I, <laughs> I really followed baseball pretty really heavily in middle school through fantasy baseball. Like I've been a Yankee fan my whole life, big baseball fan my whole life, but fantasy baseball was also something for me that kind of took it to the next level. It let me know who these like B-list players on other teams were because you pick them up for a week in fantasy because they're going four for 10 in like in the, yeah. in the past two games. So that's crazy. Uh, what was fantasy baseball like when you started? Did you ha- was it on a computer or was it kind of like old school? Yeah, my very first one, like in Canada, before I I got into it uh, over in Japan, was um, it was on paper. So it was pre-internet or right in the infancy of internet. And so there, I don't even know if there was a good fantasy baseball option on the net. But then no. when I got to Okinawa, I think it was in the year two thousand was my first. Um, kind of foray into fantasy baseball again. And that one was Yahoo. So I just stuck with Yahoo for pretty much like from then until I think 2015 was the last year that I did it. Yeah. Yahoo's great. I, I like Yahoo fantasy, fantasy baseball. I haven't done it. I've done it Very since high school. It's, it's hard to get a group of people nowadays, um, especially amongst my friends. All my friends hate baseball. So uh, it's just oh. like me and like three other guys. So it's like, we can't really form a league around that. I don't want to do it with randos. Yeah. Like, so but fancy football every year, hundred bucks. Here you go. I'm going to lose, um, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here. Sure. Fav- favorite team all time and currently. Um, we'll do uh, okay. ML- MLB and Japan. I don't know if Japan's going to be the Tigers clearly, but like MLB. Yep. Okay, so MLB, uh, favorite team of all time. Well, I, I would say, like, probably not even the Blue Jays, um, even though they are a Canadian team. I don't know if you're aware of this or if there is if there is such a thing in America where there's this kind of, like, anti-New York sentiment amongst yep. people who are non-New Yorkers. Yep. Well, there's a big anti-Toronto sentiment amongst most Canadians who are not in that region. And so... Hmm. Toronto was the team simply because they were the only Canadian team. But before that, it was the Expos. But I would say the team that I kind of followed or cheered for silently would be the Minnesota Twins because geographically, they lined right up with us. They were just south of us. And so that was my team. All right. Great Kirby organization. Puckett, Kent Herbeck. Yeah. Dan yeah. Gladden. All uh, that. Yeah. Herman Killebrew, was he on the Twins? He was, but I think that was before my time. Okay. Fair enough. Hey, yeah. Twins, uh, they were good in the 90s, early 90s. They, they, won, they, they were. Won, they did 91 World Series? 91 and I think 87 as well. Um, they won. So, yeah, man, I can't believe I Love pulled them. that out of my ass. The 91 world series was the twins. That was, that was like an educated guess on my part. Good job. Good job. Um, do you still, do you still follow twins? Twins still your favorite team currently? Like favorite team to watch in MLB? Um, you know what? Truth be told, I don't watch a lot of MLB, um, simply because of the time zone difference yeah. and my Fair. schedule. Cause the games are on like mid morning here. So if I'm not at work, I'm usually at home with the kids, but, um, and, and then the other thing is, um, because I don't actually have the MLB channel, um, I would be relying on Japanese TV and they'll broadcast games that feature Japanese players. And so right now, um, Kenta Maeda is with the twins. 
So we'll get the occasional Twins game, but obviously you know that they're going to show more Shohei Otani than anybody else. And so, yeah, he's um, a phenom. I, I mean, I still like the Twins. I'll still look at how they're doing the standings and stuff like that. But uh, just the opportunity to watch them is not there. They're not a bad club, man. They 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 had some pieces. They're this Achilles heel is every time they make the playoffs, they play the Yankees. That's just right. that's just how it's been for like the past ten years. And anytime they make the playoffs, they play the Yankees and they lose in four. That's just how it works. And it's um, crazy. It doesn't matter how good the twins are that year, how bad the Yankees are. It's almost like, well, when you see those names lined up together, you just know what's gonna happen, right? Yeah. It's honestly <laughs> the Red Sox have the same thing with the Angels. Um, when the Red Sox were on their tear in the early 2000s up until like 2011-ish. Like, I'd say, up oh, they're playing the Angels and the ALDS, and socks are going on. They're playing the Yankees. Uh-oh, nail-biter. They're playing the Indians. Well, who knows what's going to happen, right? And then they end up winning the World Series. And I have to go to high school. Yeah. I have to go to school the next day. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> so, favorite player, um, all-time and currently, American and Japanese? Oh, man. Well, um, for Japanese players... Um, can I pick two for all time even? Of course. Okay, so so Ichiro is one that like I don't know how you can not like that guy, you know, both as a player and just as an individual. Yeah. Um just such a unique guy in all facets of, you know, his personality, his approach to the game, all that kind of stuff. Love Ichiro. And then of course Otani. Um he's very different from Ichiro as far as personality and just makeup and playing style and everything, but how can you not be attracted to that guy? You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. No. I would say Otani would be one of my tops. Yeah, me, me and me and Phil did talked about Otani extensively on our previous podcast. You know, we we talked a segment about like him being the face of baseball. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he is the face of baseball. He's on the cover of MLB The Show, which is coming out um, probably around the time this podcast is being released. So you can listen to this podcast while playing the game. I'm going to be playing on my Switch. I'm very excited. Um, awesome. Yeah, he's incredible, uh, and he's he's doing something that hasn't been done in a hundred years, which is unbelievable so I'm, like, I'm excited to see him continue growing as a player i'm excited to see how long he continue to keep up pitching and hitting because i don't think he's going to be doing that for much longer personally i hope he does but i just, I just don't see it being plausible it's i mean it's really hard to predict what's going to happen there but honestly yeah i mean he's he's determined to do it he's dedicated to it where like i, I don't want to i don't know babe ruth's history or anything like that very well but I don't know how dedicated he was to keeping himself in physical and good physical shape or how, you know, insistent he was that he wanted to do both. But, you know, with Otani, I think the drive is there, you know, and that's a really big part of it. I mean, he lives, breathes, eats, sleeps baseball. And so whatever it takes, he'll, he'll make all sacrifices to make sure that he can do that. And so I'm looking forward just like you to seeing how long he can do that. I mean, personally, I'm banking on a solid five years. I think if you can do it for another five years, it's going to be phenomenal, and you can have to pick one or the other. Uh, I'm not questioning his character or his fortitude. I'm questioning the fact that his, his body is eventually going to give out because it's, it's a very oh, yeah. different game today. It's more physical. It's more athletic, and the talent is way different than the game was that long ago. Then again, pitches back then pitch every three days, sometimes every other day. So people back then were a lot crazier too. So I don't know. We'll see. I I love Shoy Otani. I think he's great for baseball. He's great for the sport. And it's he's fun to watch, which is the most important thing. He's fun to watch. Uh, so give me your fondest baseball memory as a player, fan, however you want to describe it. So I've got a couple of, I guess, baseball memories um, from watching the game from the stands. And one of them would be actually, I think it was like my third ever MLB game. 
at the Sky Dome, which is called what the Rogers Center now, or have they yeah. changed it again? I'm Twins. not sure. Yeah, that was the um, Sky Dome. Yeah. So it was the Blue Jays against the Indians. And I remember uh, I was at the game. It was an extra innings, John Olderud walk-off home run. And uh, we were actually up in like box seats and it was just like super exciting. I got so excited. I jumped up and I slammed my hands down on my buddy's backs. And one of them was scared. He said, I, I felt like you were going to push me over the edge. <laughs> so that was a great game. It was totally, it was unbelievable. John Olerud, that is a name I haven't heard. And I don't know how long he used to wear the helmet in the field. Utility, yep. utility man. He could play everything. First, second, third, short, outfield, wherever you need him to be. He could be. He was on the Yankees too. Was he? I, I'd yeah. forgotten about that. I, yeah, I kind of choose to forget stuff like that. But. He was a utility man for the Yankees in the mid-2000s. Shout out to John Olerud, wherever he is on the world. <laughs> John Olerud. All love right. it, love it. Yeah. That, that's, a great, that's a great memory. So that, right. that's from uh, North America. And then, and then in Japan, um, I've been to a couple of really good games. Um, well, more than a couple at Koshien Stadium, which is in my background right now, home of the Hanshin Tigers. But um, the most unforgettable would be the time that I saw them go from down nine, nothing to winning the game 12 to nine. That was just Ooh. an unforgettable experience. Do you remember what inning, what inning they were down nine, nothing in? Yeah. Um, so the, it was, it was against the Hiroshima carp. It was, um, they scored their ninth run in the top of the fifth. Okay. So what happened? And, and then the tigers got one in the bottom of the fifth and then in the sixth and seventh is when they really uh, rallied for just a boatload of runs. Let's think about baseball, man. That's because this is why baseball is different from every other sport. One, because the defense has the ball, right? You not that doesn't happen in any other sport. But two, you always have a fighting chance. Like you, as a defense, have to finish the game, whether it's on the field or at bat. You you have to finish the game. It's not like football; you can run the clock or overtime rules where you score a touchdown, and you don't get a chance to get the ball back of a coin toss. Right or right. basketball, Michael Jordan saying never lost a game, he just ran out of time. Baseball is no, no, no. You're putting him away. Doesn't matter if it's fourteen nothing or sixteen fourteen. Like that's that's just the beauty of baseball to me. Yeah, you're still gonna get X number of at bats. Yes. So yeah, there's there's no such thing as well. There is momentum, but not in the sense that you don't get. You literally get no chances. You're always gonna get that chance. Yeah. So I was actually sitting in with the with uh, some visiting fans. There's kind of like a visiting fan section. I was kind of surrounded by um, fans of the of the visiting team. So I was kind of um, jeering my own team. I was kind of yelling out um, at them. I was like, "Give me my money back," stuff like that. And then um, when when the Tigers got their first run, the fans around me kind of cheered with me. They're like, "Oh, good for you! Congratulations! You got a run!" But by the end of the game, man, they were just stone silent. It was such a thing of beauty. Yeah, nothing. Nothing's better than seeing, like being being at uh, at a home stadium and you're the visitor visiting team, and if something happens, you see the whole stadiums go. <laughs> you can hear a pin yeah. drop. It is. Also, on the flip side, being that visiting team, like I remember, I remember it's like one time in high school, like I was just having a really bad week, just feeling this really shitty, but um. I had Yankee tickets or Sox Yankee tickets um, in Fenway. And like, I was supposed to go with someone, but he couldn't go last minute for some reason. He couldn't go. So my dad was like, let's go. Me and him. So me and my dad went. And Yankees had a lead going into the ninth. And this was like a September game. Yankees weren't making the playoffs. Sox were already in. It didn't even matter. But, you know, we were first baseline under the grandstand, really great seats. And the Sox walk it off in the 10th. And me and my dad are just sitting there just, Head down, the stadium's going 
crazy, oh, crazy stadium shaking. Because Fenway shakes. Fenway's an old wow. building. Like you hear the people above go. you stomping on the grandstand, like you know, a piece of paint falling down your face, like <laughs> like people going nuts. And you know, as much as I hated it, you look around and go, "Shit, man, it's pretty cool." <laughs> it's still it's still pretty cool seeing forty thousand people lose their mind because you know I hate Red Sox fans. I hate them to my core. <laughs> but they're dedicated and they love the game. They love their team. So the deep part of that core, there's a lot of respect. Yeah. You got to be props to the fans that, you know, they're not fair weather, you know, they follow the team, you know, win or lose. And I, I love that as well. I love that about the Hanshin Tigers. I mean, the fans are just core. As I said, like they went through a really dry uh, spell without any, anything to cheer for. I mean, there was a 17 year spell where they finished in last place in 10 of those 17 years, but the fans just kept on coming. Yeah. I, I tell this to a lot of people too. They're like, when I come play off baseball time, I kind of like root for everybody. Cause like, you know, I, I like all the teams. It's like, well, yeah, I'm a Yankee fan, right? They're like, well, why don't the Rays win the world series or your division? It's because the Rays are a great team. They're a young team. They don't have a big budget. You know, they are everything that's right with the state of baseball. They do it correctly. I want them to succeed because above being a Yankee fan, I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball. Also, fuck the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just that's just how it works. Um, so speaking of ballparks, you got a beautiful one behind you. Um, yeah. Favorite ballpark of all time, uh, American and Japanese? Well, the Japanese one is right behind me. I mean, there's no... It, it's the king. I mean, it's the oldest ballpark in Japan, uh, built Ooh. in 1924. Um, we haven't touched on this, and I I don't know if we want to sidetrack, but there's an awesome high school baseball tournament every year, national tournament held at this stadium, actually both in the summer and in the spring. Um, but that was the purpose of this stadium being built, was to host uh, the national high school baseball tournament, which, as I said earlier, amateur baseball came before pro baseball in Japan and was and arguably still is more popular. So this stadium, man, I don't know if you can see it a little bit there, but it's an all dirt infield. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask that. I was like, is that all dirt? That's very interesting. Never seen that before. Yeah. Well, you know, all the stadiums used to be all dirt, um, but every single other stadium in Japan has um, kind of modernized itself, if you will, I guess with budget and stuff like that, right? Like er in the early days, there wasn't a lot of money uh, when it came to building the stadiums and maintaining them and stuff. But because this is such an iconic ballpark, um, and the high school kids all play on all dirt um, infields wherever they're playing all across the nation. And so this, it's not to replicate what they're used to, but it's, it's because it's so iconic now. I mean, every kid dreams of playing at Koshien Stadium. So they're keeping it the same. There's no way they're ever going to make it a grass infield ever. Honestly, so I, love this is my I love it. Don't do it. It's, it's old school. It's different. It's unique. Don't fix what doesn't need fixing. Yeah, yeah, and you don't have to be like everybody else, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. So, and that, that's true in baseball and in life, anyways. Um, so, favorite ballpark in North America or in the world? Um, you know, I haven't been to a ton, but I definitely, like, I enjoyed Safeco when I was there. I could probably list you on one hand, though, the, the stadiums that I've been to in North America. So, there's not a lot to choose from, but Safeco was a good experience for me. I want to get out to, you know, um, as many MLB stadiums as I can, though, someday. Yeah, no, me as well. Me as well. So that's a good segue to the the, the, the tour you do. So t tell me about the tour. Um, goes goes around the, the Japanese ballparks. Like, like how how close are they in proximity to each other? Because obviously Japan's one islands, two islands, few islands. It's, like it's main four islands. main islands. 
four main islands and there's ballparks on three of the four. Um, so there are 12 NPB teams. Five of them are located in the greater Tokyo region. And so you can see almost half of the ballparks just like probably within, they're all within an hour of central Tokyo. So that's kind of, I guess, good in a sense. And actually recently this tour has opened up uh, just a, a Tokyo only um, option, I guess, if you will. So originally this started um, in 1999 and um, they had originally set it into three kind of sets. There was the main tour, the see it more and the see it all. And so it's, you can imagine what that means, but the main tour was six ballparks. Uh, see it more was nine and see it all was 12. And so you're, you're starting in Tokyo, generally speaking, and then you're making your way around Japan, going to one home game at each of the uh, team's home ballparks. And, uh, you know, there's a few days off in the middle where you can go check out like sumo or whatever you want to do. Like if you wanted to check out some other aspect of Japanese culture, there's time to do that as well. But the main focus of the tour is baseball. And so um, the operator of the tour is American and living in America. And so he's coming over here. Um, but then I had, I kind of got hooked up with them when I one time offered my services and um, they said, no, thanks. But then they had an extra ticket to the game because somebody was sick or somebody bailed on the tour or whatever. Um, so I went along with them and the operator of the tour, I didn't realize this, but he was kind of putting me to the test. He just said like, do you want to join us? And I basically like, I, I, kind of guided them to the park. And then during the game, they just asked me questions about what's going on. Like, who is that guy? Or why do they do this? Why do they do that? How come Japanese baseball has this? Um, and I answered every question, I guess, just because of my knowledge and interest in the game. And afterwards he was like, man, do you realize like you're exactly what we need? And so now whenever they come to Japan, um, I generally just stick to my area, like my part of Japan, but when they come through our, my region, I'm kind of the local guide for them. So it's a lot of fun. It's a really cool tour. And Will, man, you need to uh, join it sometime for sure. I will, 100%. Because that sounds absolutely incredible. Like, literally, I'm going to get off the lunch, get off this call, and I call my Freddie Ranker. He'll be like, yo, save up for Japan. Because one, one day we're going. <laughs> um, do you see mostly tourists on this tour? Or is a lot of, like, um, I guess Japanese, I want to say Japanese families. Um, you know, like, cause that's a great, that's a great vacation to do. If someone's like a Japanese, like Japanese family, they, their kids love baseball. You just go around tour, tour, all different stadiums, or is it more tourism? It's, it's all tourism actually. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a local Japanese person join the tour. Really? Um, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's almost all, almost exclusively people living in America. Um, occasionally we'll get people joining from other parts of like maybe Southeast Asia or other countries, but it's generally speaking, America, Canada. All right. That's really cool. That's unexpected, but really cool. But hey, on this podcast, I learned to expect the unexpected. All right. Let's talk a little baseball hall of fame. Uh, Phil and sure, I man. talked a little bit about the hall of fame and some controversies. Well, uh, the voting took place uh, for 2022 and the controversy sparked up once again. So the yep. hall of fame process, the little refresher for everybody. So each voting cycle, Qualified members of the BBWA, I guess the Baseball Writers Association of America, I'm assuming, uh, name no more than 10 eligible players for whom they consider worthy of Hall of Fame honors. To be uh, enshrined, a player must be named for at least 75% of the votes ballots. Currently, players are removed from the ballot if they are named uh, on fewer than 5% of ballots or have been on the ballot for 10 times without election. So that whole process... 
convoluted. What do you think of the actual voting process and who gets to vote for the Hall of Fame? So, um, you know, we said earlier, like, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. But I think this is broken and it needs fixing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I have respect for the writers who are doing the voting simply because I think they watch the game a lot more carefully than anybody else does. However, I don't know. They get 100% of the say. Is that right? Yes. They only... Only they vote. So no players, no MLBPA, the Players Association, no nothing. It's just the writers. Right. I think that needs to change, and I don't have the solution, but um, like maybe there needs to be a percentage that is former baseball players, particularly, I don't know if it would have to necessarily be guys that are already in the hall, but I think that makes more sense than opening it to anybody. And then maybe even... I don't know about managers, but somebody that's actually in the game, you know what I mean? Like actually watching the players on the field, things like that. Yeah. So I I think there's room for improvement in that. And then they reduced the number from 15 to 10. Is that right? Like 10 years on the ballot and then you're done. It used to be 15. I believe it was 2015. I had almost, I had the stat, but I got rid of it because I didn't think it was relevant. So silly me. Uh, But yeah, it used to be 15. I believe in 2015, 2016 or 2018, they reduced it to 10. And so like you look at guys like Bonds and Clemens who now are no longer eligible. And I think like if it had been stretched out to 15, they would have made it in ultimately, but now they're, you know, they find themselves on the outside looking in. So was that the correct decision? Why did they reduce it from 15 to 10? Was there some logic to that? Or do you know? I have no idea. Um, I didn't, I wasn't hundred percent sure it was 10. I got this lead out from baseball almanac, which is my number one spot for baseball statistics and analytics. Um, but I don't know why they did it. I'm not going to be put my conspiratory hat on and say it's because of Bonds and Schilling and all of them. I think they just figured it was just a well-rounded number. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame is easily the most prestigious Hall of Fame in sports, the Baseball Hall of Fame, like easily, no questions asked. Um, so maybe it was my best guess. They probably did this to keep up the honor because the Baseball Hall of Fame, it should be hard to get in. Like, there's yeah. a lot of people on the belt next year. I'm like, listen, Tory Hunter, I love you as a player. You're not a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. He's Hall of Great. He's not Hall of Fame, yeah. right? I mean, he was an outstanding player for a number of years, but I would not say that he's a Hall of Famer either. I agree with you on that. And maybe that's one of the reasons they dropped it to 10 is because, like, well, if you can't get in in 10, then maybe you weren't meant to get in at all. Because, you, I mean, we've seen guys squeak in in year, you know, 13, 14, or 15, where it's like, well, you're kind of borderline and I don't know. Um, there was, um, I forget the guy's name. Is it Ryan Thibodeau? Um, who basically like talked so much about, was it Larry Walker? Are there a few, are there a few guys that he just talked about so much on social media that it kind of like rallied the troops and got this guy into the hall of fame. I, was and su- I love Larry Walker. I was surprised so Larry I'm- Walker got in, to be honest. I looked at his stats and I was like, huh? Okay, fine. You know, but like, yeah, the, the past few years, I I think I do think people did kind of eke in, even if they got bigger numbers. Um, but, you know, last year, no one got in. Zero. Right. Which is surprising. Um, that's just, that's, that's, that's the way that is. The, the thing that irks me with the system is the fact that only writers get to vote. Um, I think, now the MLBPA, I don't know if that's all players or former players, but I think they should have a say. You know, they have a lockout sure. right now as recording this lockout still going on. So they're going head to head with the owners. Hell, you have enough say in the game. Fuck it. Put it, <laughs> have some say in the Hall of Fame too. Yeah. Um, but the thing that irks me, 
would have five percent of the belt you just cut off and the ten years. You know, one or the other makes sense, but both that seems a little overkill. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I would say the other one though is why why is it limited to ten uh, that yeah, you yeah. can vote for per year? Because I mean, there's there's times like you said, like last year nobody got in, and maybe that was fair, but there might be years where there's just an outstanding crop. And, you know, if you're saying, well, I can't vote for this guy as a first ballot hall of famer because I've got 10 guys ahead of him on my priority list. And I just don't understand the logic behind that. Yeah. I don't either. That also really irked me. They only have 10 votes, but this year man stands alone, David Ortiz, 394 total ballots, uh, 296 voted for. Uh, so I saw David Ortiz, uh, got 77.9% of the ballot, making him a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, when I saw he was on the ballot, as a Yankee fan, I said, hands down, yes, he is a Hall of Famer. Now, he was only a DH, didn't play half the game, but David Ortiz is a player who is extremely talented, incredibly clutch, the heart and soul of a city, and the game, and one of the most well-liked players that I can think of in recent memory. Now, first ballot Hall of Famer, I think borderline. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been shocked if he got in next year, but not this year. But seeing 77.9% of the ballot, I think that's a perfectly fair number for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think like you hit on something there that well, we can touch on this later when we talk about other guys, but likability is such a huge factor. And that's, you know, due in large part to the fact that it's the writers that are voting these guys in or snubbing them, right? Yeah. Well, that's a good question, man. Should likability take part into getting into the Hall of Fame? Because... No. <laughs> no? See, I say, I say yes because it works both ways. I mean, here's why. Like, players who are likable, who is a face, like, a face of the game. Like, yeah, Derek Jeter got, like, 100% of the votes almost because, yeah, he had the stats to back it up, but he's also super likable. I th I think right. I, I think it's fair both ways. Like, yeah, Bonds, Schilling's an asshole, right? That's a big reason why he didn't get in. <laughs> he's an asshole. I'll say it. He's an asshole. But I also think his stats are borderline. So I, I think... Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's a little, I think it's, it's a, it's a factor you can't ignore because we're human beings. It's impossible to ignore. If computers decided who was in the hall of fame, you got a point, but I just, I just don't see it as the end of the world, but please prove me wrong. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not that I'm saying it shouldn't be a factor. I think it's inevitable that it is simply right. because it is humans voting for other humans and biases always come into things like this, right? It's just like the hiring process. If you're running a business, well, if you, if it's somebody that is your friend or someone you feel a connection with, they automatically get the benefit of the doubt more than someone you don't know. And so it kind of works the same way, although it's a slightly different, um, criteria but if you like someone you're much more likely to uh you know tick the box next to their name on that ballot whereas if you didn't like them as a reporter um or when you were you know reporting or you know as a member of the media you're probably going to um hesitate before you tick that box it might take you a couple of years to soften up and you know time heals a lot of wounds and it might take a little bit more time or might take some persuasion from other people so that kind of makes sense i i get it but i also don't feel like you know, it's the nice guy hall of fame, right? I mean, yeah. 
if, if you got some outstanding players, you know, you look, you look at like Pete Rose and Barry Bonds and, you know, just look at the numbers and look what they did for the game, you know, um, not even numbers, but just look at how they played the game and what, how they changed the game, you know, and can you say solely on the grounds that you didn't like them or they were jerks that they shouldn't be in the hall of fame. Now, obviously that's not the only factor that has, um, you know, removed them from the talk, but I don't know if that should be the deciding factor. No, I agree. It definitely should not be the deciding factor. No, I, I a thousand percent agree with that. Yeah, if you if you're holding a grudge because Barry Bonds called you a jerk and made you hurt your little feel feels, like bro, get a new job. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> that guy should be Hall of Famer. Um, yeah. So next year's ballot. Let me pull up next year's ballot. I got the link here. Um, yeah, this is gonna be riveting podcasting. Trying me how to copy and paste the link. Um, <laughs> next year's ballot's gonna be interesting. So. We have Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, A-Rod, Jeff Kentz, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, Andy Pettit, Jimmy Rollins, Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter, um, all returning on the ballot. New people, we got Carlos Beltran, John Lackey, Jared Weaver, Jacoby Ellsbury, Matt Kane, and Johnny Peralta. Now, names on this list... I don't see any of them getting in, to be honest. The, the new guys or or overall, all of them? The whole list. Overall. Overall. Wow. I don't, okay. see, I don't see any of them getting in. So let's start with the people returning on the ballot. Um, starting with, so next year will be Jeff Kent's 10th year on the ballot. Um, is that not that right? I don't know if that's true or not. Hang on. I got confused here. Oh, I screwed up. <laughs> All right, 2023 official ballot. All right, so next year will be Scott Rowan's sixth year on the ballot. This year, he got 63.2. So, Scott Rowan, I just don't see him as a Hall of Famer. He's yeah, like, I don't either. He's I... like the most likely. Um, people who should, in my opinion, uh, A-Rod, 1,000% should be a Hall of Famer. Okay, um, so... I, I've got maybe a little bit of a hot take on this, um, but you know, with the the whole controversy surrounding uh, players um, as far as steroid use and things like that, I think that in a way they kind of made a decision that um, left them with one of two possible outcomes. And if they can get both, well, good for them. But I don't know if it necessarily if they if they merit both. So by using performance enhancing drugs, um, and I'm not saying that uh, you know if you use them, you're automatically out, but you're kind of choosing either better numbers from year to year or eternal fame. And maybe you can't have both, you know, and I think they made the decision by using the drugs. They're saying, okay, well, I'm going to have, I'm going to put up some crazy video game numbers, or I'm going to enhance uh, my career in that respect, enhance my salary um, for the next five, 10 years, whatever it might be. But there has to be a price that they pay for that. So I personally think that if they are known to have used PEDS and if, and again, I don't know how we can prove this, but if we can, you know, if we would say that the PEDS usage um, definitely had a positive impact on their numbers to the point that they became elite, then maybe they shouldn't be let in. Okay. I mean, I, this, this is going to be debated in baseball for decades, whether they should or shouldn't be in. Um, right. I land in the camp that steroids saved baseball. 
like hands down, steroids save baseball. Um, because you know you had the ninety four strike, and then when yep. they when they came back, baseball wasn't popular. The fans were pissed off. Like people just were not interested in baseball. No one cared that the owners and the players were bickering about money. It's like I don't feel sympathy for either of you. You both make millions of dollars, and I'm over here doing a podcast. I don't care about any of your contract disputes. Just play the game, right? You're playing a game, millions yep. of dollars to play a game. You shouldn't be complaining. Like all of you, shut up. You're acting like children. But what brought them all back was the home run race of 1998 between McGuire and Sosa. Yep. McGuire and Sosa. Yep. Yeah. Now, no, I agree with you. You can you can say what what you can say. Oh, the smaller ballparks, they brought the fences in. You know, they they changed the balls a little bit. No, steroids brought people back to baseball. Now, well, McGuire was hitting those balls five hundred feet. So don't tell me that the uh, you know the ball had extra hop or that the fences the drumming yeah. fences did it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, his number his sixty second home run. Yeah, it barely cleared the fence, but most of his were in the upper deck. God, that that was so funny. That scene at 60 second home run just barely gets over the fence in like Oakland or wherever it was. It's just yeah. like, man, you're the home run king, and that's the that's the one you break it with. Like, come <laughs> on now. Yeah, like, yeah, they were putting up ridiculous numbers, but I do lay in the camp of saving baseball, and there's certain players who should be rewarded for saving baseball. Now, if you want to make the argument after the fact, after baseball's already saved, like the A-Rod, the Mannies, the Sheffields, hey, David Ortiz, he was caught up in some baseball steroids controversy right. too. He never got suspended, but he was on the he was in the Mitchell Report. He yep. was listed with Manny Ramirez in 04. You're telling me Manny was taking steroids and got busted, but Ortiz wasn't? Please, please spare me. Spare me your crocodile tears. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there's a valid argument. I think your point has merit that you make a choice and your choices have consequences. To me, it's just like, okay, but who wasn't using steroids at that era? Like, there are plenty of people who are using steroids who still put up minor league numbers in the major leagues. You still have to see the ball. You still have to hit the ball. You still have to play the game. You still have to stay healthy. So there is something to that. Yeah, steroids enhance the skills you already have. Barry Bonds is a Hall of Fame player before he took steroids. Even if you wipe out his statistics from the years he took steroids, it's still a Hall of Fame career. Right, but so... If you, if you branch this over to other sports, um, you know, one of my most crushing moments as a sports fan was the 1988 Seoul Olympics. And I don't know if you remember this, but Ben Johnson against Carl Lewis was the talk of North America. You, this is before you were born, of course. Um, ben Johnson, Canadian sprinter. Carl Lewis, of course, the greatest American sprinter of all time, arguably. Um, and they go up against each other and Johnson just blows him away. And we were just on cloud nine as Canadians. But then the very next day, you know, we found out that he tested positive for anabolic steroids and that crushed us. And I don't know that he had, you know, that in him before steroids, like if he could have broken records or won gold medals, but if he, even, even let's say in a world where he was already a gold medal sprinter, but then he used the roids and, you know, set the world record in Seoul. I still think it wipes out what he did before simply because that was a decision he made. He said, you know, what? I'm not satisfied with being the best or competing for the best. I'm going to bring myself to the next level by um, adding this extra substance into my body. And I think, you know, Barry Bonds was, in the upper echelon, he might've even been the best player in baseball or pretty close before he started using steroids. Yeah. But the question then is why did he? That's a great question. 
to be honest, that's a great, honestly, he probably wanted a World Series ring. He wanted nothing more than to win that goddamn World Series, and he never got it. Closest he got was 2002, uh, 2002 against the Angels. Angels bleed him. So, I don't know. That's a great question. That's a question only he can answer uh, because he didn't need them. A-Rod right. didn't need them. Uh, Maguire, Sosa, they probably needed them, <laughs> to be honest. Clemens didn't need them. Yeah. Gary Sheffield, probably need him. Uh, he's on the, it's his ninth year next year. I don't think he gets in. Billy Wagner, I think is possible. I don't think he gets in. Manny, he doesn't get yeah. in. Omar Vizquel, his sixth year, I don't think he gets in. The one person- Ever or next year? Ever, ever. Okay. These, these are all ever. Um, okay. The one person <laughs> I think should 1,000% get in is Andy Pettit. Okay. I mean, I, th- I, I don't know him well enough, but as a Yankees fan, I'm sure you know a lot about him and you could, you could probably make a good case for him. So Andy Pettit, let's see if I can pull up his stats here. This is batting stats. I don't care about his batting stats. I want his pitching stats. Here we go. Get pitching stats. Andy Pettit. Let's see if he's got the numbers here. Uh, where is he? Where is his line? Andy Pettit. Well, he got 200, 250, 256 wins. 385 ERA. Uh, let me strikeouts he got. 2,400 strikeouts. So his his numbers are borderline. I'll grant you. His numbers are borderline. But Andy Pettit also has the most wins in playoff history. Um, his pickoff move is famous and notorious for one of the best ever. He is incredibly clutch in the playoffs. He has won plenty of World Series with the Yankees and almost with the Astros. I think... He's had an incredible career. I am biased because I do love him as a Yankee. He was one of my favorite players. Right. And yeah. I, I think I think this is a vote for me where personality and like what he meant for the game and the team kind of goes a long way. Yeah, I can buy that. I mean, I, I, I do think he's borderline and I don't know him as well as you do. Um, but so the 385 ER, career ERA kind of stands out as like, fairly mediocre to me, but yeah. ERA again is one of those numbers that is it the best measuring stick? No. Um, so we would have to probably crunch some numbers uh, outside of that to determine what that 3.85 actually means. And I'm not prepared to do that, but you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure about him. I've, how many, how many years does he have left? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Andy Pettit five, this will be his fifth next year. And he got 10% this year. Oh, that's low. It is very low. Yeah, it's very low. He's also connected to uh, HGH. Right, yeah. Him and Clements um, on the Yankees and the Astros. So he probably will never get in, um, but I think his impact on the game outshines his stats. And that's where I'll end it. All right, so that's that's next year's ballot. I don't think, honestly, I don't think we're going to see a a Hall of Fame class for another few years. That's my honest opinion, but hey, I've been wrong before. Hopefully I'm wrong again. All right, um... I'm going to list off a play. Having that conversation with the Hall of Fame, listing off a player, a uh, few players, whether they should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. Are you ready? Sure. Barry Bonds, yes or no? I'm going to say no uh, for the same reason that I gave earlier that um, he had to choose one or the other, either and choose the inflated numbers and the greatness from year to year or the eternal greatness. And I think he made his decision. I'm saying yes because it's a crime that the home run hits home run leader that's not in the Hall of Fame. I don't care if it's cheated. Put, a, put an asterisk. I don't care. You should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Kurt Schilling, yes or no? Um, man, that's hard. I was he associated with uh, 
I don't, I don't think heads? so. To be honest, I don't think so. I okay. think people generally don't like the guy. Okay, because by numbers, I would say yes for him. And I understand he is a very, you know, hateable uh, character. I hate but him. Again, I hate you, Kurt but- and you stupid bloody ass sock. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty of hateable characters, though, that got into the Hall of Fame. Um, I think yes, we just Cy Young's in the Hall of Fame. It's, it's oh, no, Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame. Right? Ty Cobb was the epitome of dirtbag. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. So I'm going to say yes on Schilling. I'll say his stats are borderline. I'll give him that. Uh, Sammy Sosa. No. I'll say yes. Um, I, 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 you know what? He had a few excellent, you know, outstanding years. Um I don't think, though, that without the pads, I don't think that he could have done nearly what he did. So, no. I, I agree with there. I've seen him play on the Orioles. It was bad. Um, <laughs> but he, he's one of those people who saved baseball. Mark McGuire. Wow. Is, is it possible to say no to Sosa and yes to McGuire and justify that? I'm not really sure, but it, I, no, I kind of feel like so. But I'll, it, no, but I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> okay, so, so McGuire, like, I don't, like, if you look at his rookie season, okay, if, I don't know if he was using peds in his rookie year, that takes a lot of cojones, but um, he had a really great rookie year. And I mean, he had the power before the, the peds, but again, you know, if I use the same argument as I did with bonds, then the answer for McGuire has to be no as well. And so it is. I give him yes. Cause he saved baseball. Uh, Roger Clemens. Well, again, it's peds, but, um, and, and this is a tough one. Cause he's almost like the mirror image of Barry bonds in a sense that like yeah. his numbers pre you know, pre-steroids were outstanding, unbelievable, definitely on Hall of Fame track. He had 21 he strikeouts in a game without steroids in like the late 80s. It's crazy. And how many of those Cy Youngs did he win pre-steroids? I think probably at least three of them, if not four. Most of them. Because he, he won with the Jays. He won two with the Jays and he won one with the Astros, right? He might have won one with and the I, Yankees as well. Yeah. But that was well, post. he won seven so in total, post. right? So that was post. Yeah. But again, if, if I'm going to take a hard line on, on Ped's use, I mean, if he was busted for it or if, or if it's very clear that he used them, then I have to say no. Um, that's not to say that I don't think his numbers warrant it or that he, was, he wasn't great before that. I'm, again, I'm just kind of taking that hard stance of like, well, you chose that path. Now you got to live with both the good and bad consequences. So you can't have the, the year-to-year glory and the eternal glory. You can't have both unless you did things right and he didn't. Yeah, you can't have the cake and eat it too. Hey, man, I, I get right. the argument, but I'm going to go yes as well. I, I, right. I, I think... I think the numbers, again, because he, he had the numbers before the steroids. So if you want to put an asterisk on it, fine. I think he should be there. Uh, A-Rod. So A-Rod, is, it's the same thing, right? I mean, I you look at his numbers. You look at how he did as a rookie uh, back in Seattle. He had an outstanding um, rookie campaign. And then after that, he was absolutely unbelievable. Went to the Rangers. He was great there. Went to the Yankees. He was outstanding there as well. Um, personally, I don't like the guy, but I definitely think he's got some unbelievable numbers. And... Yeah, you know what? Like, as much as I'm saying no to all these guys because of peds, if they were to make like a blanket decision and say, you know what, all these guys get in, they all get asterisks, asterisks next to their name. And if you were to tell me that, like, we're letting them in or, or, or we're not using peds as uh, a measuring stick or as a penalty, then I would say yes to him. Absolutely. I mean, you look at those numbers, you look at the career he had. Yeah, outstanding player. I'll also say this for A Rod uh, he was punished for steroids. He was suspended twice. True. So he didn't necessarily have his cake and eat it too. He had his cake and he got it taken away. So yeah. when, do you, when do you forgive a guy? When is enough enough? 
yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, that kind of leads a little bit into Pete Rose as well, right? Like, oh, Pete Rose is the last name. Pete Rose is a different animal. Pete Rose is the last name on our list. We're going to get to Pete Rose. I have a lot to say about Pete Rose. But uh, okay, so we'll talk about that later then. But no, you're right. I mean, in a sense, like there, there, there was a system in place when, when A Rod uh, got caught and he paid the price. And yeah, do you hold that over somebody's head forever? Yes or no? And remember, he was chasing bonds. I personally say, I would say no, except for the fact that he did it again, right? (laughs) That's fair. You know what, touche, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. You did it twice. You didn't learn anything. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right, touche. Manny, Manny Ramirez. Same thing, right? Because he got caught twice as well, didn't he? He got caught caught a few times. (laughs) Yeah. He just didn't care. I'm going to go no on Manny. Um, I don't think he has numbers. I, I love his numbers and I love what he brought to the game. Um, I also, I find it interesting that he played in Japan and Korea and he was signed to play in Australia as well um, as recently as like two years ago, but because of COVID, I think, and maybe his own uh, physical condition, he didn't ever get to play there. But the fact that he just loves the game so much that he's playing overseas well into his late forties. I don't know. It's just a cool thing. It, it doesn't get him into the hall of fame, but I just think it's an interesting thing about, about Manny. Fun to watch. He was Definitely. a great character for baseball. I hate him. I hate him with all my being. <laughs> number 24, the Red Sox, piece of shit. But he was fun to watch. He was a great character. He was silly. Uh, him and Ortiz were a great duo. But I think he was a person who needed steroids to be successful, whereas some other players did not. So I'm going to say no for him. Sure. Okay, uh, fair enough. Gary Sheffield, the chef. I would say that I don't even, I don't know his final stat line or anything like that, but I don't necessarily think that he was hall of fame in his, I don't know, in his career. Uh, he, you know, famous swing, yep. crazy ass wrist. Yeah. His biggest accomplishment is over 500 home runs. He was in the 500 club. Other than that, just known as a crazy power hitter and a cannon for a right arm in right field. Yeah. I mean, 500 career home runs is definitely nothing to sneeze at. There's only a handful of guys that have done that. And so in that respect, well, he was also tied in with the, was it the Mitchell report? Yes. Or am I wrong? No, you're correct. Yeah. So again, I, I have to go all or nothing on these. And so if I'm going nothing, I got to go nothing with him as well. Um, but the more we talk about it, the more I'm, I'm seeing like how many guys I'm canceling out of the hall of fame. I feel like a jerk saying no to all of them. So. Hey man, it's just your humble opinion. Yeah. I'm going to give, I'm going to give the X to Gary Sheffield as well. As much as I love the chef, I'm, I'm smelling what he's cooking. All right, finally, Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Yeah, man, that, that's a really hard one. Um, I honestly, like, I don't know his career because I never watched him play, you know, live or anything like that. I just know the tale. He's the all-time hits the leader. Yes. He has over 4,000 hits. A crazy and, career batting average, and he got banned from baseball for betting on himself. Right, and I think that's probably enough to cancel him eternally, especially because he has never really come out and said that he did it and apologized for it. Or maybe he said that he did, but he didn't apologize. Is that right? I think he had some kind of half-assed apology a year or two ago. Yeah. But because I think he wanted to be like a manager or an assistant manager or something. He wanted to be back in the game. Here's the thing of Pete Rose. That's interesting because Phil said the same thing. Phil almost said word for word the same thing you said. I'm going to tell you what I told him. I don't think he has anything to apologize for. Uh, He's a jerk. Yes. He's an aggressive player and a garbage human being, from what I've heard. Don't know the guy personally. However, he gambled on baseball. Unlike Joe Jackson in the the, the Black Sox in 1919, he bet on himself to win. 
Right. I don't see the harm in that. I don't see it against the integrity of the game because he's not rigging games. He's playing the game the exact same way, if not harder, than he would if he bet if he didn't bet at all. Right. So I don't see any negative downside to him betting on himself to win a game or his team. I just I don't see it. I, I just I don't get what the all the outrage is for. Is it is it disrespectful for the game itself? If so, how? So I think it's the integrity issue though, and it's also the fact that if they if they forgive this and if they let him if they let him off for this, then they're kind of opening the door to other people doing it too, or they're saying, well, you let Pete do it, or you're okay with Pete doing it, so why not me? And it just becomes really gray, and it's a slippery slope. And I just, I guess that's the hard line they have to draw. I guess, but I, I don't I don't see I don't see an issue in morality with betting on yourself to win. Like if you 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 can bet on other sports, yeah, yeah you shouldn't. I mean, you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, definitely not to make yourself lose. That's blatantly cheating. Right. But to bet yourself win, I think it's it's a victimless crime. Okay. All right. I mean, I'll, I'll grant you that. But I still, I don't know. I mean, I think like his, even his apology um, in recent years, there there's motivation behind it and it may not be sincere. And, and who am I to be, you know, judge, jury, and executioner on him? It's not my place. And so uh, I, I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's a, it was a very whelming apology. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to say a thousand percent. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You want to play the fifth? Eh? You're not an American, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grant it. You're right anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. So our last topic of discussion, I don't know how long we're going to go here, but we're going to see how it goes. Uh, ESPN recently had a top 100 baseball players of all time. We're not going to go through all 100 because that's – we have stuff to do. We're going to go through some notables. Um, by notables, I mean about a third of the list. So sure. before we start with that, uh, notable snubs. Jeff Bagwell and Mike Mussina, both Hall of Famers, not on the list. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys had unbelievable careers. I would, I would definitely love to have seen both of them on that list for sure. I'd, I'd put them in like the '80s, early '90s. Like they're not, they don't, they're not like top twenty-five, top fifty. But I would put them. No, definitely not. I would put them. I would put them in the list. Now you you yeah. you want you look you look at a fifty through one. Any comments before we actually go through these? Any um, your thoughts on the list overall? There's a lot of things I agree with on this list. A lot of things that go, man, who came up with this list? They need to be taken out back and shot. Terrible, terrible. So first of all, like I'm not really a huge fan of lists like this because I feel like the comparison from era to era is just way too hard to do, and it's totally unfair to a lot of these guys. I mean. Like you've probably heard the arguments before, like, well, don't you think that like so-and-so if he had played back in those days, he would have hit 80 home runs or if such and such a player from the past would have been in our day, he would have struck out 200 times. There's no way he would have hit that many home runs or whatever, you know, stuff like that. There's, there's so many arguments to be made um, in that respect. And so how do you measure the greatness of these guys up against each other? Um, and I don't even believe in, you know, using the numbers like the, the ERA plus or ERA minus or, you know, whatever, all those, all the fancy um, saber numbers. I, I love that there is so much, there are so many stats um, in the baseball world. That's part of what drew me to baseball, but I still don't know that it's a fair comparison that can be made. So I'll, I say that as, 
you know, my, my precursor to what I'm going to say in all of this, because, you know, like, how can I say, Oh, uh, just for example, like Warren Spawn doesn't belong in number 47. Well, how do I know? You know what I mean? Like aside from looking at his numbers. So, but I would look even at number 49. I don't know. I just personally think the big hurt deserves a little bit more uh, love than that. What are your thoughts on that? Interesting. Cause I did mention Frank Thomas. Um, <laughs> I was a little, I was a little hurt at forty nine because honestly, I think it's a little really? high. I think I think it's a little high. I saw I saw Jim Tomei at ninety eight, and I got really upset. I was like, "All right, uh, Frank, you got to put Jim Tomei ninety eight, but Frank Thomas number forty nine. It's because those commercials he's been doing recently um, for testosterone." Um, I, I literally put my notes, put his ass in the seventies. <laughs> maybe that's a little too, maybe that's a little too harsh. But listen, Frank Thomas. 500 home runs, you know, he played for the White Sox, I think maybe his whole career. I it looks like wrong. he played for the A's um, and J's as well. A's and J's, that's why I forgot he was on the Blue Jays. But great career, Hall of Famer. I really like Frank Thomas, but I thought 49 was a little high for him. But um, I do like you put the caveat of it's not fair to compare different eras. And yeah, that's a thousand percent true. It's not fair to compare eras because, yeah, if you put Babe Ruth in today's game, he'd probably be on the bench. That's just the reality of the game it's in. And again, if you put a pitcher back there, and he wouldn't make it a year in the league because they pitch too often. So it works both yeah. ways. Uh, again, with these lists, super subjective. Like, I got, I'm getting, I'm really mad at this list, but I shouldn't be because it's a list that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> but um, number 100, Barry Larkin. Okay. Interesting choice, Barry Larkin, number of 100. Of all time, though. Uh, nine, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, of all time, I was like, okay, I was like, you gotta start somewhere, <laughs> all right? Barry Larkin, fine, but immediately, Phil Negro, number ninety nine, knuckleballer, three hundred wins, three thousand strikeouts. Yeah. that's low, really low, really low. That's yeah, low. Jim Tomey, ninety eight. We already covered that. Uh, ninety four, Bryce Harper. I thought it was interesting because he's he's been around for. Almost ten years, yeah. I think. But he's he's got a long way to go in his career. By by when they make this list twenty years from now, he'll probably be top fifty. Are they saying though that like if his career were to end today, he would still be in that spot? That's what I'm assuming. Mm, see, I don't know if he belongs in the top hundred of all time just yet. That's fair. That's fair. But I think that's why they put him ninety four. Right. Because it's like recognizing, listen, this guy, you you got to put over some. Of the guys in today's yeah. game, because otherwise, if, if you did a if you did a list of a hundred people and didn't put any players today, I think it's like, well, why am I watching baseball? Then? Right. What do you think? Okay, so what so do you I, think, I think? Um, how high do you think Harper might be able to go? What do you think his ceiling is on this list if he has another great ten years? Say. I think I think his list. I think his height is top fifty, no more than top thirty five. Okay. But th I think he's a great player. He's won a few MVPs already. But I don't think he's going to be breaking any records. I don't think he'll bat 300. I think he'll be a franchise player that was just, you know, was a hype at a high school that paid off. No, that's a very fair assessment. I was thinking, like, maybe he could creep into the top 20. But now that I think about it, there's no way. There's no way he could get top 20. I mean, you look at the no. list of guys it's that just, are in there, and I just don't see him exceeding any of them, no matter how good he does in the next 10 years. By the time he retires, baseball will have been around for like 150 mm -hmm. years. Think about that. That's, That's crazy. Uh, 89, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Hey, I'm just, glad he, I'm just happy he made the list. 
I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a huge MLB historian. I, I know the name and I know that he has got a place in the history of the game. You know, part of it is a dark place, but then, you know, he also was one of the all-time greats. And so, yeah, it's good to see him on that list for sure. 81, Mike Piazza. I just go LOL Met fans. <laughs> <laughs> My Mike Piazza, Hall of Famer, great player, franchise player, also well-liked, very well-respected. 81, it's a good place for him. Uh, yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, he he fits the list, and he doesn't really fit terribly high in the list, but you look at the impact that he made, the length of his career. Um, he, I don't want to say he, re, he revolutionized the catching position, but he was one of the first you know, in this modern era of slugging catchers before him, I can't really think of very many catchers. Um, you know, there, there might've been just yeah. a small handful that were able to hit the ball the way that he could. That's a very good point. It was him and Pudge, yep. Ivan Rodriguez were like the two sluggers, but no, Mike Piazza, that's a very, very, very good point. Uh, 77, Vlad Guerrero, which is a crime. Vlad Guerrero needs to be in a top 50. I love that guy. I don't care what... Vlad Guerrero, I love his son. Like, I love I love everything about this guy. This guy took a ball in the dirt and put it in a seat. And there's a double set the ground first, right? That's just something. That, he could take a ball that is in at his eyes and put it over the stadium. He could take he could take a ball from the fence at right field and throw it into the dugout. This guy was just unbelievable. Vlad Guerrero, 77. I mean, he's a generational talent. You know, when you look at what he did and how he did it, um, I love the fact that he could hit for power with a high average with very few strikeouts. And even in his younger days, he was stealing bases like crazy as well. So uh, I think he, he, he needs to be higher. You didn't, uh, we didn't get around to this before, but he was one of my top, my favorite players growing up. Like you, you said, favorite players all the time. Yeah. I didn't get to that, but Vlad Guerrero would definitely be the guy. Mine too. When I was playing MVP baseball 2005, he was always my cleanup hitter. I don't care what anyone says. He's my cleanup hitter. Uh, Justin Verlander, number 72, also very low for me. I put him in the top 50 as well. I put him probably like 48. I I would say he's probably right where he is. Um, I don't know. Like I, I would actually have to kind of look at which pitcher ranked ahead and behind him to see if he fit kind of within the pitchers, just because I know that they even said in their rankings, it was hard for them to rank the pitchers with the hitters, just because you're, you're looking at two completely different mm. skill sets. And so uh, looking at him within the pitchers, I would say maybe that's just about right, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Also we make the point all time. It is, it is very hard. If they did one from like the past 20 years, like 20, 2000 on top hundred, or if they did it, uh, you know, 1950 to 19, 99 or whatever they wanted to do. There's so many different ways you could do this yeah. list, but yeah. Okay. It's a valid argument. 69, Ozzy Smith. Hilarious. Perfect. The wizard. I love the wizard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a guy that. Guy was, guy was doing backflips at shortstop. All right. <laughs> Guy's crazy. Yeah. I mean, when you think defense and especially at the, that position, there's no other name that comes up except for Ozzy Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 66. Number of the beast. Cal Ripken Jr. Shouldn't he be higher? Wow. Shouldn't he be higher than that? Yeah. Right. The goddamn Iron yeah. Man. He played what two thousand games in a row, and you put him number sixty six. That just seems unfair. No, no, it seems unfair. Well, especially like okay, so now that if I look at this, and if I were to say like okay, who would you rather have on your team over the course of a career, Frank Thomas or Cal Ripken Jr.? I'm gonna go with Cal Ripken Jr. Ten times Cal out of Ripken. ten, right? Yeah. Ten times out of ten. Yeah. Every time. I put him top 25, but I was going to the top 25 as a guy. Maybe not top 25. I get back. I'll put him in the top 40. Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. 63, David Ortiz. 
I thought that was a little low. If I'm being honest. Mm, that's tricky. For how, for how for how clutch he is, how good he was in the playoffs. It's baseball isn't all numbers, man. Sometimes it's sometimes it's character, uh, motivation, and just straight up heart. And David Ortiz has all those better than any player I can. No, I, I can agree with you on that. I mean, like clutch is practically his middle name. Like I don't know, I can't think of the number of times that. You know, you're thinking to yourself, well, if I think it might have been in an article that he wrote in the Players Tribune where he was like, okay, well, I was starting to think, well, if it goes like this and this, then I'm going to be up at the plate in this situation. And if I hit a home run, the game's going to end. And that's exactly what happened. I think it was in the playoffs one year. I don't remember the exact scenario, but I just remember like probably 2004. He did it three times. So, I mean, like the guy just, it seemed like things, the table was set for him and he cleared it. You know what I mean? He, he owned yeah. it. He cleared it, you know, more often than he didn't. So, yeah, I could put him higher on that list, too. But, but then again, career DH. Mm, he didn't play true, half the true. game. I mean, I, that's, that's, that's a good argument. Uh, 55, Reggie Jackson. I think that's about his spot he should be. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Like, again, um, I didn't watch the man as much as, say, I watched, like, Frank Thomas or anything like that, but... I would say that they are probably about equal, maybe. I could be wrong. Maybe I would put Jackson ahead of Thomas. So maybe now I'm, I'm backing off on my initial uh, take on, on the big hurt. But uh, so you said 55. So that's about in the same ballpark as Thomas. So I'm going to say that's okay. Yeah, if Thomas is 49. Right. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's a fair place sure. to put him. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, number 52. I think he deserved top 50. Barely, like 49. I think he's just off, just as hair. It's Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher of my generation. Yeah, no doubt. Hands down. No doubt. I mean, he's still a guy that you look to and you, and you expect him to to get her done, you know, every time he's on the mound. Um, the way he prepares himself and, uh, you know, he... How old is he now? Like 34, 5? Or is he even... If that... Right. If that, he's probably exiting his prime. Right, but he's still going to probably be around for another few years once they get the players on the, on the field again. Um, so I could see him maybe finishing his career top 40. Yeah, I agree. Uh, number 46, Ichiro. I thought that was very fair as well. Yeah, you know, there's certain aspects of his game that I guess you could say are lacking, especially when you're looking at an all-time greats list. Um, maybe maybe power being one of the only ones. That and, you know, championships. Um, but the guy was outstanding on defense. What did he win, like 10 straight gold, gold gloves? Something like that? Something crazy. Yeah, and 200 like, plus hits his, in 10 his, straight his, years and... And his impact on the game. He had 3,000 hits in the U.S. And he started late. Age 27 in the U.S. Like, excuse, like, excuse me? <laughs> you, you started your career in the beginning of your prime. You still got 3,000 hits? If you include his career in Japan, he has, like, what, over 5,000 hits? I think, well, I mean, he surpassed Pete Rose, if you, if you include his NPB numbers. And that was another kind of yeah. sore spot I had with, uh, with Pete Rose was that when he was asked about that, he was like, yeah, but that doesn't count because he didn't do it in the major leagues. I did all of mine in the major leagues, so I'm still, the, you know, the greatest hitter of all time. Yeah, okay, okay, Pete. And even if you think that, man, you right now. just have a, have a little bit of grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's okay to think yeah. that, but... There's the right way to say things. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Because you can't just you can't just disrespect an entire professional league of baseball. Like Japan ball, no, it's not the major league baseball. You can make the argument that the MLB is better, whatever that means, but you can't discredit that the whole Japanese league of baseball is not professional. They're pros. 
You're a thousand percent professional. And Ichiro is a prime example because he came here and almost broke your record. So not that this could ever happen, but in a fictional universe, if you put Pete Rose in Japan until age 27, how many hits would he have gotten compared to how many he got in, you know, up until age 27 in major leagues? Would it have been a lot more than he actually got or not? It's hard to say because the pitchers in Japan are actually quite good, you know? And the ball is yes. different. Yeah. So everything about the sport. Yeah. Different. I mean, hats off to Ichiro even for making that adjustment, um, you know, coming from Japan all the way to America is a huge you know, physical, mental, everything adjustment. And so to do that mid-career and still excel is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we talked to Nolan Ryan, uh, I think top 25, number 42. Number 41 is Satchel Page. <sighs> That's a sin to me, man. <laughs> Satchel Page, especially. Uh, this guy was one of the best of his era. Like, hands down, that early stages of baseball, he was unhittable. Do you know anything about I, Satchel Page? I don't. I mean, like, I, I know the name. I've looked up a little bit about him, but I, any comment that I make would sound very uneducated. So I'm going to go with what, you, what, what you're saying as well. Yep. It's, it's, it's okay, Will. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to say I'm right. It's totally fine. Uh, 39, Yogi Berra. Shocking. I love Yogi Berra. I'm happy he's this high, but from being honest, he should not be number 39. Do you think his likability comes in uh, with this? Because he was a very likable character, was he not? Probably his baseballisms. It's like it's it's fit. It's forty percent physical and like eighty percent mental. I butchered the quote, but like yeah, his yogiisms. I mean, granted, the guy has like eleven World Series rings as a player and a manager. He's one of the most winningest players of all time in history, baseball baseball history. So, or sports history for that matter. So I guess if you consider winning, fair, but in terms of his skill and his stats and as a player, I don't. I think thirty nine is high. Okay. Yeah, I, I could go with that, but I think um, I, I don't know how how he was as a catcher either. But it is a very demanding a catcher, position, very good and so that could have factored yeah. in a little, anyways. Yeah, you know, catchers. Yeah, numbers on catchers are taking a hit because they're on their knees all day yeah. or on, crouching all day, and it ruins their knees. Uh, Thirty-eight, Jackie Robinson. I think a touch too low. Yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, look at the impact that he made on the game and that in itself. Yeah. Um, definitely, you know, but but beyond that, the numbers, you know what I mean? Like his numbers are outstanding and I think he could have been a lot higher on this list than he was. I would have put him maybe top 30. I would have, I would have put him 24 because I, I think 42 is too low and make it backwards. Oh, there you go. All right, that's my sure. reasoning. <laughs> there Love you it. go. Uh, Pete Rowe is 34. We've talked him to death. I think he should be top 15. Uh, I'm assuming you think he's a little high. I don't. Um, in terms of what he did on the field or what he accomplished as a player, no, I, I wouldn't because he didn't use any substance that affected his performance or made him a better player. You know, like even the gambling, like you said, if anything, the gambling probably made him a better player because he was putting that money on himself. But what yeah. he accomplished as as a player, um, I would say that he's low. I wouldn't say that he's high. Interesting. All right. Respect, respect, respect to the respect to the game. It goes a long way. Uh, Thirty-one, Mariano Rivera. Oh, I mean, greatest closer of all time, and this is a tough one to gauge simply because there were no closers for how many years of baseball's history, right? So, that's a great point. That's a very, very good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, but what he did, mm. man, with with just that one pitch and how long he a did fastball. It, you know what I mean? A cut yep. fastball. That's all it is. Yeah. A cut fastball that's 
literally unhittable. And and you know, look at his playoff ERA. Was it like zero point seven for his career in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, just ridiculous. Yeah, you know, you were talking like- about Ortiz and his his clutch factor. Well, what about Rivera? I mean, the only time that I saw him fail in the playoffs was against the Diamondbacks, and that was kind <laughs> of I'm, I don't want to say a fluky hit, but it certainly wasn't a clean hit, right? Yeah, Luis Gonzalez. Little, I want to talk about it. But I'm going to talk about it. That is, that honestly, that hurts more than 2004. 2004 hurts because it was the Red Sox, and I was like 10 years old, and it was the worst day of my life. The day after the World Series, <laughs> right? But you know, David Ortiz is Mariano's kryptonite. That point seven ERA, whatever it is, half that is from David Ortiz. The other one, Luis Gonzalez. <laughs> Luis Gonzalez, bloop single, 2001. Luis Gonzalez also took steroids, so fuck that guy. Um, but that hurt, especially because it was right after 9-11. Right. You know, that was the one time the whole world, or the whole country at least, won the Yankees to win a World Series. The only time ever. Now we're forever. And Arizona wins. What? Right. Also, Schilling was on that team. So that's why oh. I hate Kurt Schilling, too. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I think, I think Kurt Schilling pitched game six, that clinching game. So that, or game seven, whatever it was. So Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Mariano. Well, and you want to talk about likability factor as well. I mean, who didn't like Rivera, right? You're just one of the nicest guys ever yeah. in the game. Yeah. It's like when, when he retired, you know, that last season, he did his whole tour, uh, him and Jeter. Like, you know, even Red Sox fans, as fickle and as disgusting as they can be, you know, they... Tip to hat to both of them, you know that they were they were class acts to a class act. So I love Myron Rivera. He's in one of my favorite plays of all time. But my favorite play of all time is number twenty eight, and that's Derek Jeter. And God damn it, this isn't the biggest crime of the century. I don't know what is. Where would you have ranked him? I would have put him in the top fifteen. Oh wow, I think that's pretty high. I mean, very long career, very excellent career, very good hitter. Um, his defense. I don't know. You could go both ways. I mean, people make arguments both ways on that. Um, I don't know. I mean, y- you could be right. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, you know, he he definitely also was, he had what, five World Series wins? Is that right? Yeah, five or six. Although I do see that we're going to go, I think we're going through, we're going to go through the top 15 and I don't know who I'd replace. So I put top 15 because he's my favorite of all time, but I'm looking at his top 15 and I can't think of anyone to replace him with maybe Mike Trout, but hmm. that's a right. See, I would have, you know, number 30 was Pujols. I would have put Pujols slightly ahead of Jeter. Truth be told. Okay. I don't want to hear why. Well, there's some bias there too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really I like him as well. Hear so. why. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, 27 Roberto Clemente surprised. He was this high because his career is cut short because you know, um, he died in a plane right. crash, but he his last game, he got his 3,000th hit. Yeah, I'm seeing that just and now. And then he died going going to, I believe, Haiti was the earthquake, or Dominican Republic. I think it was uh, Nicaragua home is what it says here. Yeah, Nicaragua. Yeah. Um, and he died in a plane crash. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. But 27 on the list? He would have he been 27 if he played a full career. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, again, like his name lives on through the award. And I think that may be one of the reasons that he's ranked as high as he is. And I think, I think it's a pretty fair uh, assessment. Yeah. You know, this list can be, can be a bunch of criteria impact inside and outside the game. You know, guy was humanitarian. So that's got to count for something. Yep. 
26, A-Rod. I, okay. Great numbers, great career. Um, again, if you're, are you, are you pe- penalizing guys for peds on this list or not? If you're not, I think you need to be higher. I think they're not because Barry Bonds is number eight. Right. <laughs> so they're probably not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I would probably put A-Rod somewhere around 20 then. Me as well. Me as well. Uh, Randy Johnson, number 24. thought that was perfect. I loved Randy Johnson, and I think this is a great spot for him as well. I mean, the yeah, just a crazy stretch of years in his prime where, you know, when he figured out control, good luck hitting that guy. He was also on that 2001 Diamondbacks team. That slider was mm-hmm. unhittable. Uh, 23, Ricky Henderson. I think that's also perfect. One of the greatest players of all time. It's tough to argue. Like, we're arguing for a lot of guys being higher, but I would almost say put him higher. Um, you know, his impact as not only a base runner, but a leadoff hitter. Um, and then if you, if you throw in some personality factor, I mean, not everybody liked Ricky Henderson, but he always had something interesting to say. And <laughs> I love that about him. All right, 22, Tom Seaver, which I went, ooh, okay. Okay, Tom Seaver, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Um, see, this is where I think Nolan Ryan probably should. I think I probably would switch Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. Where was, sorry, Ryan's further down the list? Like further? Like- Nolan Ryan's very much further down the list. Nolan Ryan was number 42. Okay, yeah, I, I could swap those two out quite easily. I don't know Seaver well enough or what he did or how he fit into his era well enough to say, but um, I mean, I know Nolan Ryan a lot better and Ryan's numbers are just, they speak for themselves. Yeah. Cy Young, number 21. I mean, they named an award after this guy and I can't give him top 10. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. I'm being serious. Come on now. There's a reason they named the award after him. And it's not just like, so for example, right, the Japanese equivalent or what they call the equivalent is the Eiji Sawamura award. And this is a guy that um, died, I think at age 27 in world war two. Yeah. Oof. And they named the award after him because of, well, I mean, he did have an outstanding short career, but also in that barnstorming tour in 1934, he struck out, if I'm not mistaken, it was Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Jimmy Fox um, back to back to back. And he he allowed one run. It was a solo shot to Gehrig in a 1-0 loss. That would have been the first time a Japanese team ever beat an American team on Japanese soil, or at least you know at that level. And so his his spirit, and you know, of course, the, the award was named... Uh, well, I guess the same would be true of Cy Young after his death. Um, but there's a difference there, right? Like Cy Young actually had a full career with unbelievable numbers, whereas Eiji Sawamura's yeah. career was cut short. So yeah, I agree with you there. Like you're naming the award after the guy because of what he accomplished and because of what he, um, I guess, stood for as a pitcher. And it's always the funny joke. Who's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, never to win, never to win a Cy Young? Cy Young. Cy Young. Cy Young, hilarious. Uh, number 17, Roger Clemens. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah, uh, seven Cy Young Awards. Um, hard to argue with that. And again, if there's no PEDS penalty, then I think that's fair. Uh, 16, Joe DiMaggio. Jolton Joe, I think that's also fair. Wow, like 56 straight hits. Pretty crazy stuff. Um, again, this is a guy whose career yeah. I didn't, obviously didn't get to follow or anything like that, but certainly, yeah, all the talk, um, it fits. If you got a record that's never if that that's never gonna be broken, 
he deserved to be put. Yeah, in I would maybe swap him and Trout at least for now, and maybe Trout overcomes him in the next few years, or you know, by the end of his career right. for sure. Mike, yeah, top fifteen. Here we go, Mike Trout. I think he's very high for this list, and I think they only put him in there because he is the face of baseball next to Shohei Otani. Right, and again, this I think is maybe extrapolating on his career numbers because if you look at you know his cumulative stats. He's not anywhere close to anyone else that's in, say, the top 30. So um, maybe there's a little bit of hope added into this that he will be, you know, like I would say he might even be top. Well, he he could be top 10, if not maybe even top five, if he continues to have, you know, uh, say five plus years of greatness. But I don't know about 15th right now. I agree. So we're going to go through the top 14 right now. I I agree with all of these picks except for one. I want, I'm going to see if you can pick okay. up what it is. So 14, Greg Maddox, 13, Ken Griffey Jr., 12, Honus Wagner, 11, Pedro Martinez, 10, Stan Musial, number nine, Walter Johnson, number eight, Barry Bonds, number seven, Mickey Mantle, which mwah, Poetic justice. Number six, Lou Gehrig. Number five, Ty Cobb. Uh, Ted Williams, excuse me. Number four, Ty Cobb. Three, two, one, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and of course, Babe Ruth, because obviously. So which one of these doesn't fit on where they are? Ooh, that's really hard. Um, If thinking like me, I spoke to folks for almost like an hour and a half now. Think like me. Who do I go? Wow, they don't deserve to be there. Just looking at this list, um, I would probably say um, you would say maybe Pedro. No, I think Pedro is actually okay. perfect. I, I do as well. Yeah. Uh, who's your daddy, man? Come on, the Yankees. Uh, Willie Mays. I'm shocked Willie Mays is number okay. two. Absolutely. Sh- absolutely. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. All right. I'm a big fan of the catch and the say hey kid and all that stuff too. But number two. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. True. Ahead of ahead of Hank Aaron is pretty shocking. Ahead of Ty Cobb. Hank Aaron, Ty Cobb, yeah. Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig. You know, if you want to put a number six, move everyone else down a peg, I think it's a perfect I think it's a perfect top ten. Right. Maybe Griffey for Stan Musial, because I don't know a lot about Stan Musial, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. But I think his top ten is outstanding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I, I think that you could probably ask like you know, you're saying who wrote this list, who did this. Um, you could probably ask a dozen, you could ask two dozen guys to name the top 10 of all time. And you'd probably get at least eight to nine of them exactly the same on all those lists. Yeah. Maybe just in a different right. order, depending on their yeah. fandom, but they're all, they're all in the list, you know, uh, Ruth, Aaron and Cobb are probably your top three in one way, shape or right. form. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the hundred. Uh, Honus Wagner. I'm glad Honus Wagner is number twelve. You know the tiny baseball card. Yep. Uh, Griffey. If Griffey didn't get injured all those times, he'd probably be number five. To be honest. Oh yeah. But the the injuries just put him down. Greg Maddox. I still think is an underrated pitcher, which is crazy to me because he's one of the greatest of all time. His precision. I saw a crazy stat the other day. It's like he. Out of he pitched like five thousand innings, all these strikeouts, and he only had a three zero count like a hundred times in his career, wow. or one hundred thirty times. Something, something absolutely ludicrous. And it's like no, that's Greg Maddox for you. He was just 
unhittable. So he blew my mind when, Absolutely when unhittable. Uh, as, as a young baseball fan that didn't fully understand the game. And I remember reading a quote from him that said, the, the job of the pitcher is to make the balls look like strikes and the strikes look like balls. And I was like, oh, yeah. Light bulb goes wow. off. I was like, that's yeah. exactly yeah, that it. Is, that is a right yeah. But that's, that's what great. he did. That's what he did better than anybody else. Unbelievable. And I think, I think that's a perfect way to cap off this list. All right, Trevor. I had a great time talking with Likewise. you. Likewise. Is there anything else we didn't cover? Anything you want to ask me? Um, or are you ready to go home, man? I don't know what time it is in there in Japan, but it's probably... It's lunchtime, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. Lunchtime. Oh, yeah. lucky you! It's ten o'clock at night here in New Jersey. Um, so it's almost bedtime. But Trevor, I loved having you here. It was great talking to you. I'm glad we could connect. Talked about baseball. This was a lot of fun for me. This is why I love podcasting, man. It's a great load of fun. Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say? Anything you want people to shout out? The floor is yours. Where they can find you, your socials, your podcast, anything you want to say. Yeah. Um. Right so ahead. check me out. Uh, as far as my website goes, it's thehanshintigers.com. So basically, the team name with the in front of it. Um. And you can find all my socials there if you just go into the about section of that. Um. This is a perfect time, I honestly think, for American fans to kind of latch on to Japanese baseball. Um. You know, I don't know how long the lockout is going to last, but. One of the things I love about the Japanese game, and, and, and you can take this in different ways, right? I, I understand the, the Players Association is fighting for not only their own rights, and, and they're not fighting for their extra millions of dollars. I think they're really fighting for the, the little guys, right? The, the rights of the players that are fringe that, you know, need the extra benefits because the, uh, the lower level of the game is going to get absolutely squelched if something doesn't change. But NPB very seldom has labor disputes or arguments. The players are very likable just as people. You know, we talked a lot about these guys that are just, you know, disgusting people or unlikable or whatever. I haven't met a single Japanese player that I didn't like. Um, it's a very pure game here. I would say give NPB a chance. Check out japanball.com as well. That is the site that I write for as a newsletter writer. Um, that is the tour that comes to Japan. So I would say check that out. Check me out um, on my website and then my socials. And uh, yeah, give Japanese baseball a chance. I think you're, you would love it if you caught on and chose a good team like the Tigers. All right, ladies and gentlemen, now it's my turn. I always do this at the end of the podcast. You love it. And I let's see if I can do it all in one breath. That's usually how I do it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tarish. This has been a Talking with Tarish. I'm not going to do it in one breath. I can't do it. It's been a Talking with Tarish podcast with my guest, Trevor Rachera. Trevor, I had a great time talking with you. Baseball is my first love. It's also my second love and my third <laughs> love. Podcasting is my fourth love. Uh, I hope to bring you back sometime mid-season. Maybe me, you, and Phil can do a conjoined thing at the All-Star break, break down the season, see what's going on. If there is a season, <laughs> here's hoping. We didn't tell we didn't tell the lockout this time because we're recording this in February, and by the time it's released in mid-March, hopefully the lockdown's over. I didn't want anything to be irrelevant. Um, but my name is Will Tarashuk. T is in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. This has been Talking with Tarashuk. Find me anywhere and every podcast can be found. Make sure to like, share, subscribe on YouTube. Support the show. If you want to be a guest, talk about baseball or anything you find interesting. If you make me go, ooh, that's interesting. Congratulations. You are on the show, on video, with these bubbles, with my face in the bottom right corner. Anything you want to talk about, as long as I go, ooh, we'll talk about it. And it's fun.
It's a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun. Ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com to find all of our other guests, including Phil Riccobono, some of my old friends from college, writers, authors, life coaches, anything and everything can be there. Ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. We'll be back next week talking with, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. We'll see, but I'll see you there because that's the fun and joy of podcasting. Until then, y'all take care. <laughs>